Hey, it's Christy. Welcome to Do The Work. Today and every day, we'll talk about things that really matter. You, your thoughts, your feelings, your experiences. We'll discuss what emotional work looks, sounds, and feels like in our day-to-day lives. Relationships are what matter most, and they can be complicated. If you'd like a better connection with yourself, with others, and with your God, you are in the right place. So glad you're here. Welcome back to Do The Work. I'm excited to be doing something new today. I love to read, and I'm a believer in reading good books and learning from people who have been through all kinds of different experiences or who have learned um, from different spaces in their life. I believe that bibliotherapy is a thing and that we really can learn um, by just spending time committed to new ways of thinking, new ways of seeing things, and just looking inside of ourselves to and asking the question, is this applicable or helpful for me? So we are starting a book club on the podcast, and every quarter I will invite two or three individuals in to discuss a certain book. Today is our first book club, and I am so happy to have Kenzie Evans and Eden Rasmussen here to discuss the book, The Choice by Edith Eva Eager. So welcome, Kenzie and Eden. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Excited. Good. Um, Kenzie, will you start? I, If you guys will just introduce yourselves. Will you introduce yourself for us? Yeah. I'm, like she said, Mackenzie Evans. I'm 29. I have three beautiful kids. I have right now three under two. So it's a crazy time <laughs> at my house. And Wait, three under two? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said two under two. No, I have three under two. I have a boy who's two and a half, a girl who's one and a half, and then I have my six-week-old who's a boy. Wow. So yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> um, I do everything soccer right now. I do. I coach. I have my own training company that I do, and I'm really passionate about like women's health in soccer. That's and in like sports in general. I'm mm-hmm. just like a huge athlete mm-hmm. fan in yes. general. So that's a little bit about me. Thanks. I come from an awesome family as well. Uh, I have five younger siblings, so it's always been a full house. Wonderful. But, yeah. Thank you. Okay, Eden, tell us about you. Uh, I'm Eden Rasmussen. I uh, grew up in Idaho, moved to Utah when I was 11. My dad turned 40 and decided with seven kids that he was going to go to law school. Oh, wow. So we moved to Utah. And um, years later, I went to BYU myself, graduated in humanities and English, just could never decide. I didn't like to be pigeonholed. And I could focus on art and literature and culture. And I, I just felt like that was a nice wide range. But my junior year, I realized I didn't necessarily have a marketable skill. So I... <laughs> Went into editing, which helped me get my first job out of college as a web editor at an academic journal. I did that for several years and then transitioned into digital online work. Um, And then a few years ago, I started teaching online, um, which I had done that after my LDS mission at the Missionary Training Center, not teaching online, but teaching. And I loved that experience. Didn't ever think of it as a profession necessarily, but just loved being in the teaching world. So um, that started to fulfill a need. But shortly after that, I started also doing social work for people with disabilities. And right now I'm just doing both of those jobs. Because um, again, I like the variety and yes. want a chance to do different things. Um, single. I have several siblings. A lot of them live in the Valley. Um, my youngest sister just had my 34th niece or nephew. Oh. And I felt really lucky with both of my sisters to get to, they've really welcomed me into their motherhood role. So that's been a, a lucky, lucky part of my life, I feel like. Um, I really identified with Edith, not trying to get out of my bio yet, but her... Um, undecided future. Yes. Unspecified future. And I have felt that for a long time. 
most of my interest lies in writing and in the, uh, the combination of nutrition and psychology. So I've always liked to play in those worlds. Eden. I almost called you Edith. <laughs> Eden, thank you. Kenzie, thank you. I love both of these women, and I feel so happy to talk about this book. <clears throat> You're both very gifted, and you've both had many life experiences. And I, as, as I, I read The Choice, again, I listened um, to The Choice really recently. I just, I was saying to Zach and Tanner here that all humans should, this should be, well, I think I was saying it while we were all here. All humans <laughs> should be required to read this book if they want to um, be in any kind of a relationship or live. So I am really happy to have you here to discuss it. I had a client call me one day and say, I'm sending you a book. I think you'll like it. When I received the book, it took me a few weeks to begin reading, and I had no idea how this book would affect me in my life. She was Jewish, living in Nazi-occupied Eastern Europe, and Edith, her sister Magda, and her parents, she had one other sister, Clara, who was actually in a, she played the violin and she was in a conservatory when Edith and Magda and her parents were taken away. They were put in several concentration camps. The one she speaks most of is Auschwitz. Edith was found. So she was in Auschwitz for a year, you guys? Mm -hmm. Was it a year? a year, yeah. yeah. Before she, they were taken out in a death march. And uh, she was literally found on a pile of dead people. Uh, when, when the U.S. military liberated the camp that she was in after this death march, she weighed 70 pounds at the time they found her. She had a broken back, typhoid fever, pneumonia, and pleurisy. Now, I've had pneumonia. I've had pleurisy. They're, pain they're really painful, pleurisy especially. To have them all together, I, I have no idea. And when she describes, she's on the pile of dead bodies, and she can hear the soldiers, and they're looking for anybody that's alive, and the way that she, in her mind, because she was on the Olympic gymnastics team, is that right? Before mm -hmm. she was taken away to the concentration camps. And the way that she describes how she gathered the courage and the strength to move her hand so they could see that she was alive, she started to dance in her head. And it allowed her to move her hand enough. She that she didn't. That's as much strength as she had was to kind of move her hand. And they found her there. <laughs> oh, I could just ball my eyes out. She's she's pretty amazing. She is truly one of my heroes. She's I've never met her, but she's genuine, honest, wounded, forgiving, willing to look at her weaknesses, and wants to help others. She is someone I want to be like. She was 90 when she wrote the, the, the book, The Choice. And then she wrote a second book when she was 93, I believe. I think she's 95 today. Um, I can say that this book is in the top five books I've ever read in my life. And its ability to touch me, to convict me, to convince me of my worth, my value, my ability to choose happiness or misery, to choose forgiveness or hatred, to choose victimhood or victory, to live inside, to live free instead of inside of emotional and mental prisons has been great. I read a paper copy the first time and I just listened to it recently. It just gets better. And I've, I've actually had several book clubs with it. Like I'll find a group of friends who hasn't read it and I'll say, read it and let's talk about it, you know? So it's, it really is something that's been important to me. In the introduction, Philip Zambardo says, Edith was not broken by the horrors she experienced. She was emboldened and strengthened by them. In fact, her wisdom comes from deep within the most devastating episodes of her life. Edith's goal is nothing less than to help each of us to escape the prisons of our own minds. Each of us is in some way mentally imprisoned, and it's Edie's mission to help us realize that just as we can act as our own jailers, we can also be our own liberators. The horrors that Edie has experienced are extreme. 
Oh, oh, that was end of quote from Philip. My thoughts are the horrors that Edie has experienced are extreme. And as I re-listened this time, and I'd love you guys' thoughts on this too, I realized her pain did not start when she was kicked off of the gymnastics team because she was Jewish. And then very shortly after that, taken into concentration camps. Her pain started when she was raised by a mother who was raised by an unhealthy mother and her mother would say to her, I'm glad you have brains because you have no looks. Or when her sisters would sing to her, you're so ugly, you're so puny, you will never find a husband. <laughs> I just wanted to, I wanted to slap those girls right when I read it. Or when she had eye surgery and or when she lost her check for tuition and her dad beat her so much that she wished she could die so that her dad would suffer, so that her dad could understand how much he had hurt her. Edie knew pain before she walked in and out of Auschwitz or and before she chose to eat grass while others were choosing to eat other people because they were so hungry. She knew pain before she left she was left for dead on the pile of bodies and she began to dance in her mind. Thank you, Kenzie and Eden. I know you know pain. I know pain. Like Edie says, we all know pain. We're not going to get through this life without it. So I'd like to know just a quick thought. I want to be really clear here. You can hate the book too. Like I don't know how either of you feel about it. It's not required to love it. It's not required. But I am curious your thoughts about it. Uh, just, just an overall, before we get into some specific questions, you're, I'm curious. What are your thoughts? We'll start with you, Eden. Mm. Have you ever read a book and you thought, ooh, this is going to be a little bit painful yeah. to listen to or yeah. to read? Yeah. And I think that was my first thought because she immediately went deep. I mean, it was her in the introduction. And she immediately started dealing with clients and some of the struggles they had and relating that to her own. And I thought, this is not going to be an easy book to read. I've read lots of um, Holocaust survivor books. And at first I was wondering, is this, is this another one? All of their experiences are valuable, yeah, but they're also painful to go through. And, um, so at first I was, I was just a little wary because I wasn't quite sure where we were headed, but I did love how she was relating it to her current client base and to her own life experience and combining that with her life experience. So, I guess I gave it some cautious optimism. Um, and then I think just my overall reaction was, she's certainly authentic. She's certainly <laughs> willing to to get it all out there. And that's not common. It is not common. You're right. So, so that, was the, that was probably my biggest reaction. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. She is authentic. And maybe that's, um, maybe that's one of the reasons I love her so much is because what you said, that is not common. Um, to be able to see inside of someone's heart and mind requires someone who's willing to not be liked or loved or cared for because they're willing to expose those parts of them that are wounded and that shame would tell us, don't let anybody know this. They will not like you. Right. So um, also you bring up a good point that I want to point out here. So she and her husband came to America and I think she was 50 when she went back to get her master's and then her PhD. And she said to someone, you know, I want to go. But she, no, no, no. Was she 50 or maybe she, she was 40 when she started her BA. Okay. 40. Masters but she said, I'll be done PhD. when I'm 50. They're like, yep. well, you're going to get, you're going to get to 50 anyway. So yeah, that's yeah. the best. Yeah. I, I appreciated that. her willingness. If that was something that mattered to her, that she went forward. So anyway, she is a clinical psychologist and I really loved it. This is like jumping all the way to the end of the back of the book. But when her husband, they were checking into a hotel and they said, welcome doctor and Mrs. Eager. And her husband says, it's Dr. and Mr. Eager. <laughs> <I love laughs> Let's get that, that straight. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it so much. 
Thank you, Eden. Okay, Kenzie, your thoughts. This is my second time reading it, actually, mm-hmm. because you told me about it like a while ago. I read it and then I got to read it again, yes. which is fabulous. With and three kids under two. Yes, which <laughs> is great. Just breastfeeding and reading at the same time. I got a lot of time on the couch. Good. It's The book is amazing. I'm not a huge reader. I wish I was. Like I wish I would read more. Because when I read books like this, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, holy cow, so much you can learn from like other people and their experiences. I think one thing I loved and I love about her the most, I totally agree with the authenticism that she has. And it's that I always have this like struggle with myself. It's not like I've gone through crazy things, but I've also, I have seen like, between like myself and my family members and people close to me, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate being the person that's like, well, I've had it worse than you. I never want to come off that mm-hmm. way. Like, yeah. oh, really? Like, that's really hard for you because guess what? <laughs> I like had to yeah. go through. I hate, I hate being that person like on accident. Right. <laughs> and she has like all the cards to hold, to pull those, <laughs> to pull that. She and she like portrays it in a way that that doesn't, like happen you don't feel like oh like i have like no right to feel sad for myself or to go through hard things because she's had it obviously way worse than i personally have Mm -hmm. but she makes it in such a connecting way where you just learn from her experiences you don't feel like i don't have a right to feel you know like sad or hurt because she had it worse she makes it so connecting. And I love that because I'm like, it's, oh my gosh, it's possible for me to not come off as like this, like snob of like, I know better than you. Cause I've yeah. gone through things. Yeah. Put your hurt out on the table. Let's see if it's worse than mine. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's such a connect. It's such a connecting piece uh, like that. She brings to the table when she like writes it and mm-hmm. portrays her story. And so I, I like, I love that. That's like my big I do love over the book. I do too. Thank you. Thank you, Kizzy. I learned from Edith that to compare pain is not helpful. And you're right. Our human self, it's easy to be like, oh, you lost your keys. I'm saying you didn't get to go to the concert you wanted. You know, it's right. It is our a human tendency to dismiss other people's pain sometimes when, especially when we're in pain. But even when, you know, we've moved through some painful experiences. So you bet. I love that she, she says that several times. It's just not helpful to compare pain. She said, but I do want you to know that if I can do it, so can you. And, and when they asked her to come and speak to those chaplains, you know, back in Germany, she's like, why me? And he said, because, because, these chaplains have to learn how they want to talk about forgiveness and hope. And we don't know anyone who can talk about that more authentically than you. And I saw, love that. So again, oh, I, yeah, okay, yeah, my pain's worse than anyone else. No, I've learned how to have hope and I've learned how to forgive because of my experiences. So, oh, thank you, Kenzie. I, I really appreciated that as well. Okay. I'm going to ask a few questions and um, we'll just, we can get through one. Zach will let us know when we come to a time where <laughs> it's time to be done. Um, and, or we can get through several. I, I have no agenda here. I, my greatest desire is that anyone who's listening to this will read this book and gift it to everyone they know for Christmas. Because I think it's, I think it's <laughs> worth that it. Good. Yeah, I I've do. tried to get my friends seriously to read it, and now I'm going to be like, listen to this podcast, freaking <laughs> now go read the book, read it. <laughs> so, that's exactly it. Good. Yeah, the podcast is just a, like a nibble. It's it will be just a little invite to go and read more. Okay, so this book is called The Choice. What are some of the choices that Edie had to face? And what lessons can we take away and apply to our own current choices? We've all had to make choices. So can you think of what what choices did you see Edie make? You know, there's like the obvious choices that she like made. And mm-hmm. she talks about like the theme of it, like choosing to like not let her mind basically go insane and like keep that yes. for her. Um 
one thing I like when I was thinking back on it, because one quote in the book really stuck out to me. She says something like, rarely the right choice is the safe choice. Mm. So it's kind of like those like risky choices that we feel like this can't be right. It's not safe, but it actually is what like propels us forward. So there's like instances in the book where she's, I think, put in a different like line and they never know what line means like living or death. And I think she gets split from her sister at some point. And then she does, she's like, what the heck, how do I get over to her? Like, and she just like does cartwheels. (laughs) over there just like, like i'm just gonna do something insane yeah and then and the guys the uh whatever the officers, officers whatever just like what and they just like let her go <laughs> just let her go i'm like that's so rich she could have like literally been just shot there yeah it's so true there's like a instance where she like gets put in that office with that terrible i don't even know how to say his name mangel whatever mm-hmm. and she's like taken out of the shower she's like sitting in his office and then he gets distracted and has to go out and she decides to just like book Run. it back yep yeah i'm like that you would think I'm like that's that's the riskiest choice of all. He could have just gone and find her again and be like, oh, he knew right where left. she was. Yeah, right? yeah. And then, but he he didn't. And I mean, if she would have stayed, who knows what would have happened. And but so just like all of those risky choices that she had to make, I was, mm. I'm like, oh, like that's like that is the choices that like help just propel us to another day and and you know and growth and whatever. So that's. Those type of choices she made during the book, they're like the smaller ones that piece the story together, but those like really kind of like sang with me. It's like not the safe choices. It can be, but a lot of the times it was like the little risky choices that she made that like helped and made a big difference because she's still here 95 years later. She's still kicking. Yeah. Literally. She's still (laughs) kicking. Literally. She kicks at the end of her speeches. That's so right. I forgot (laughs) that. You know, I will often say to clients and to myself, like walk towards your fear, run towards your fear. I'm going to say cartwheel towards your fear from now on. <laughs> I'd forgotten that she had done that. That is so good. And yes, to move, like change, and just so often the uncomfortable choice is the choice that will be a catalyst for change or for deeper connection or whatever. In her life, it was literally her life. You reminded me, Kenzie, of when she went and she, uh, broke out and went and stole some carrots. Yeah. And, yeah. In the garden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the garden. And the guy found her and belittled her and demeaned her. And she hid the carrots. Where did she hide them? Like under, did she, her, it must've been under her shirt or something. Anyway, she to got, take him to Magda. Yeah. To take him to her sister. Cause she was dying and <clears throat> she, he didn't kill her and she got away and, gave the carrots to Magda and some of the others in the room. And the next morning that same guard came and dropped a loaf of bread by her and said, you must have been very hungry to have risked what you risked last night. And so just to what you said, say it again. Sometimes the, well, it's, I think it's a quote in the book. Rarely the right choice is the safe choice. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Thank you. So good. Eden. Um, choice. I honestly was really impressed again and again in the book with how long she lives and that the vantage point of that lengthy life, um, she had to make a choice, not once, not twice, but every day repeatedly again and again. First it was survival. Mm -hmm. Then it was recovering. Then it was the hope of like, what can happen next? Then getting her family out of Eastern Europe, then moving to America, the bias that she experienced there, the lack of funds and education. Like I just kept watching this life that she's living and thinking, oh my gosh. And she doesn't even start to confront the fears truly until she's in her master's program, right? So she's in her Mm fifties and I'm thinking, Oh, okay. There's still time. (laughs) There's still time to make choices. There's still time not to, not to, you know, make you comfortable or, or put me in a mode of convenience, but just thinking this isn't a one and done kind of event, this choice. Mm. This is a, Hey, am I willing to? 
be open and vulnerable. And she says repeatedly that that puts you in a place of risking pain Yes, again, yes. right? Yes. And that the trauma that most of us go through or experience makes us want to shut down. But when we do that, it um, repeats the cycle of suffering to the next generation and the next generation. So I kept seeing her choice as long, continuous, reverberating. Um, Daily. Yep, daily. Sometimes, multiple times in a day, she's making choices. That's beautiful. Thank you both. There's a quote in the book where she says, sometimes our pain pushes and sometimes our hope pulls. Edie, now to be clear, she wrote this book when she was 90. Okay. So she, I'm guessing she added, you know, what she's learned, how she's learned how to think and feel in back into that 15, 16, 20, 30, 40 year old girl and woman. So I don't want any of us to be thinking, oh, I should have known that too when I was, no, no, <laughs> we're learning with, we're choosing every day to learn. So to what you said, but when, but my thought was sometimes our, when she said, sometimes our pain pushes and sometimes our hope pulls, pulls, Edie chose to not fight against the push or the pull that she chose to let those move her. Um, and and I guess actually she fought against it for a long time. Like you said, she didn't really start real recovery until she was in her 50s. And I would say nothing was more profound. Well, not nothing. There's so many profound things. But <laughs> watch my language here. But when the train went by and she went under the bed because she heard the train and the trauma. Did her kids go under the bed too? I was trying to remember. I can't remember. I think... Was it when the sirens came? Yes. The tri- and yeah, I think her 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 daughter and her friend, her daughter like pulled her friend under, under the, bed the bed, and mm-hmm. and then she went to like go cover her head or something, and yes. she realized, oh my gosh, I'm like, I have this taught on my, my children, yeah. to fear, to fear, yeah, never saying, hey, you should fear loud siren or you should fear if someone's going to come hurt you, but just by the way she responded to everyday experiences, she taught her children and. And she goes on throughout the book and describes that absolutely there is like, we are teaching our children one way or another. And when we do not address our own pain, we will teach them. We will teach them like it or not, how to live in fear, how to be anxious, how to cover, how to not be open to, to risk or to you know, healthy relationships or whatever that sounds, that looks like. So I really appreciated that. Another choice that I th- I l- really love that she made was she chose not to be a victim. She chose not to hate. She shows this through the whole book. Her sister Magda is so wounded that her desire is to hurt. It, I, she said several times, I want to kill a German woman, a German mother, because that would hurt. <laughs> that would hurt the most to to hurt someone's and Edith says you know my my pain didn't go towards her homicidal it went to where she didn't want to live herself mm-hmm. and they can go it can go either way but she chose to not be a victim and i really we'll talk more about that i'm sure later okay thanks for that here's the here's another question what did you learn about forgiveness while you were reading this book? Um, I'll start. I I had forgotten until this rereading about when she was in recovery and she was with one of the American soldiers and he acted like he was going to rape her and he made all these gestures and, and he was drunk. He was drunk yep. and came at her and she just sat still and clear and like, just hang on. He didn't rape her that night. And he came to her the next morning. So sorry for what he had done and really kind of took care of her. I've always brought her food, always what was trying to help her to see, um, you know, he, she, without saying I'm sorry over and over again, he was trying to say, I'm sorry. And she said, she said, I forgive you. Um, 
she also shows through the whole book, even with Mangle and others who have hurt her. I really love she's clear about the pain that they inflicted, but she's also willing to forgive. And I I appreciated that from both of her examples there. She could see all the parts of the person. So thoughts, what have you learned about forgiveness from this book? Yeah, it's an forgiveness is such an interesting thing because she also brings this point up because I feel like there's sometimes this portrayal of forgiveness as you're letting people off the hook. Yes. yes. And she like so many times says like, no, 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 I'm, this is not forgiving the terrible. There's like one part in the book where I think she's talking about Hitler, like, like, mm-hmm. like specifically. When she goes back to visit. Yeah. And she talks about, I am not letting him off the hook for, and then she just like in detail explains for like the specific manipulation and like all of the things that they had to go into, like killing millions of people. Like she, she like lists yeah. the hurt and the pain and goes on. She's like, I'm not like here to say that it was okay. But I'm also not here to like let that keep me in a prison, basically, you know, and that's why she like forgave him. And so I feel like hearing that you're like, no, like you can't do that. Like you don't even need to do that. Why Why would you forgive someone like that or anybody like who hurts you? But it's like that forgiveness piece that like just like lets you move on Mm. like through it. And like there's experiences in my life. There's one actually that I wrote down when I was thinking about it. There is someone really like close in my life. Well, oh wait, I'll just say someone close in my life <laughs> who like has decided decisions that like I would hate for her mm-hmm. and watching it has made me so angry, like mm. so angry because I'm like, I know how amazing you are. You're like my best friend and to watch you like destroy your life with like drugs and alcohol and stupid idiot boys. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And it, it has made me so upset, like literally so angry. Sure. And at the beginning of like all this happening, which is like many years ago, I like expressed a lot of that anger. I was like, which I was not a great person, but I was like, you're so stupid. Why? Like, what the <laughs> Can crap? use better language yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like, and I was like, so physically angry, upset at her. Like, just like my emotions were just very, and I always, like, I looked back and I'm like, why did I have to be so like, kind of like mean and like upset and angry? Like, it's not even me that's going through it. You know, I'm just like yes. watching it. But after reading this book, I'm like, no, that was like, there's another quote. She says, there's no forgiveness without rage, like no forgiveness, mm-hmm. no rage. And I've always been like, I'm like, what? Yeah. But I'm like, oh my gosh, the one person who I is, I'm closest with that I've actually been the most angry with is someone who I've, I've actually now years later, like been able to forgive. Not that I'm like, not still hurt. There's like things where I'm yeah. like, oh, I wish you could be like a part of my kids' lives more. Like, I really wish like you could be that person. But I've like, I had that rage. I had that like mad like episode and I went through that emotion and then that forgiveness piece. It's not that I think what she's doing is okay or I think it's healthy or that doesn't mean I'm like letting my kids be with her all the time when I think things are not okay with her. You know, there's like boundaries that are in place, but that like emotion, I guess you could say of forgiveness is just like an accepting of me. Like, you know what? I can, I can move on and I can be okay, I was like mad. I was mad. I let that pass. And that's, and that was actually a good thing. It's not something I beat myself up about anymore. Like, why was I so mean? Like, why was I so mean? Why was I so angry? I'm like, that was like, it was necessary. It was like a necessary thing. And if I felt that way, I should feel that way in a way. Um, there's like a story we were talking about this before as well. Sorry to just keep mumbling, but keep going, kids. There's so I lost my sister when I was a senior in high school and I was 17. Uh, she was walking home. She's she was four. She was walking home from her friend's house, just literally two houses up from our house. And our neighbor was just he had his family in the car, was like backing out, mm. and there was it, there was like another car in the way. Couldn't really see. She's tiny, obviously. She's mm-hmm. four, and she comes from my family, which we're all <laughs> short. <laughs> my brothers will Petite hate that. They're people. they're tall. Okay, you guys are tall. <laughs> but we she anyway she got ran over and hit and. 
obviously, like, I can't, when I, I mean, I obviously went through all the emotions of the whole thing, you know, but my mom said something interesting, like, during kind of that time, she just was like, I'm so glad it wasn't me. I'm like, holy cow. Like, yes, like, so glad. But then you think about, like, the pain that that person has to go through, like, holding that in their life the whole time. I'm like, holy cow. Hmm. That's like terrible. Like we have to go through something terrible, mm. but somebody else has to go through mm. and carry something so terrible. So anyway, I made the decision to go up there. That was actually, I think the day, I don't know if it was a couple days after because she was in the hospital. She didn't like die immediately. It was, it was like a few days. I think it was like four. Anyway, it was either the day of or the day after I went up to go just like talk to him. And was like, hey, like my parents don't hold anything against you. It was an accident. We totally understand it was an accident. Like, I don't forgive you. I mean, I do forgive you. I don't forgive you. I do forgive you. And we don't hold anything against you. That's what I was trying to say. And like, can I give you a hug? And that I have later learned has made a huge difference in his like recovery, we'll call it, mm-hmm. which I'm just so glad I could be like a tiny piece in his like journey of recovery and and i've never had to like hold that you know piece of like anger Mm -hmm. towards him or a whole you know i haven't been in like i we could just relate it to the book kind of like in that prison of just like Mm -hmm. i'm so upset that he wasn't doing this or paying attention or blah 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 all the things that you could say i've like never had to hold that and so like selfishly for me i'm like i'm so glad I'm so glad I haven't had to like hold that like grudge because mm-hmm. that can be so heavy. And I like, and you can hear it in my voice, like it's an emotional thing to already carry and to like carry like a grudge like that would be so heavy, like even heavier. So anyway, mm-hmm. I've had like pieces of forgiveness in my life and it's so hard. And yeah, you get in this like phase where you're like, or this space where like, it's not right to like let you off the hook that's what you think but i'm like mm-hmm. it's not letting them off the hook it's not it's just like letting you just like be like okay you know what see you later like see you later i'm yeah. gonna like move on to my space and you don't have to just like let it destroy fester. you i guess mm-hmm. yeah or fester like however yeah. it's gonna present itself but it lets yeah you, it lets you off the hook totally it lets you move and feel and connect to other people when when we hold on when we have a hard time forgiving or we hold on to pain or or wounds we're stuck we we cannot love as deeply as we're capable of we cannot give we cannot see others as as clearly kenzie thank you for sharing both of those experiences edith talks about anger in here like you mentioned and i love what she says it's like she was talking about when the guy came into her office jason um, with the gun yes and had a gun (laughs) and was like i'm gonna kill her i'm gonna kill her and she's like who are you gonna kill you know she's like in this office and he's my wife and and she said, I knew, I knew that the anger, I know, like I, I needed to get to where the wound was. And so she's like, who, what happened? And she had an affair and I'm going to kill her. And she's, you know, and she, and she validated the wound and, you know, and then he turns the gun. He doesn't like say, I'm going to kill you, but he's like pointing it at her as she's validating the wound. And then she says something like, Anger, she doesn't say this, these exact words, but anger is the cover. Anger is just the outward fringe and, and cover for the deeper wound, the deep, what, what, what have you lost? What, it, you know, what is this hit inside of you? And, and anger, the way I like to describe it, it's the cover. It's, it's the cover for the pain and the wound. And when she says you have to feel anger, I think I think that means because if some, if the anger can tell us something, the anger can say, I'm so sad. Right. I, I haven't just, you know, lost a sister. I'm losing now a friend or whoever this person is that you're talking about. I, this is more loss. This, this is so painful. And so, yeah, I, I used to think anger, like you're bad if you feel anger, not that I can't get there fast in my own <laughs> self, 
but I am a believer. Angry is never helpful a- to like angry to like hurt people. And I don't think that's helpful, but anger exposes our wounds really. And I, I think she does a beautiful job of describing that in there. So thank you for sharing both of those. I things. love yeah. her story about the two veterans, Tom, and I think it was Charles Yeah. and Tom's reaction to his struggle and pain was the anger. Yes. And Charles was able to like, I'm so grateful to be alive. Maybe I don't have a leg anymore, but I get to see my kids eyes <sighs> and I get to be with them and share their life. And interestingly, she identified more with Tom because she said Tom with his anger made her, made it okay for her to start to recognize, yeah, I feel anger too. Yeah. And I haven't been able to pay attention to it. But the fact that he was willing to voice it. Yes. And it helped him start to face it. Yes. Yes. It's as long as we don't get stuck there. Yeah. And that's what she says, right? Yeah. She says, Jason, I took him to the place of trying to figure out his anger, but I couldn't just leave him there. I had to help him through it. That's, that's exactly it. And we probably all know individuals who are stuck in their anger or their, I, whenever I see someone stuck in anger, I think stuck in their pain. And so to have, one of the beautiful things I think is to have someone in your life that you trust enough that you can be, you can feel anger and they're okay. They, they don't, they're not threatened by that. And yeah. And I mean, I'm not suggesting hurting other people inside of our anger. I did real, I do know that hurt people hurt people. And so, you know, even Kenzie, when you said, I, I could have said it differently when you were communicating with this person that you cared about hurt people hurt people that's that it's one it's a really human response so thank you thank you both edith I, it's okay <laughs> eden, eden. he's not a bad person it's to like not get, like I, not at all <laughs> to get confused about. exactly like i'll take that credit exactly <laughs> take it on i want to see a high kick when we're done <laughs> <laughs> um any other thoughts on forgiveness I don't really have any thoughts. I like more thoughts. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I think in a weird way, it's one of the hardest ones because yeah. you go through like all of the emotions to be able to get there. It's like the last piece of like acceptance, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just accepting it and then letting it go is like the forgiveness. So yes. I know so as, as common sometimes as it is like with my kids, you know, like, okay, say you're sorry, Casey, it's okay. Then, yes. You know, the forgiveness, that happens like daily so many times, but like the trueness of it, oh my gosh, that's <laughs> just like a, a whole thing. And you like don't really realize that until you're like staring it in the face, I feel like, but. So yeah. true. I would say that I love the idea of forgiveness. And I've also been much more real about the fact that I've gotten better and better at grudges mm. too. So yeah. that feeling of stuck and realizing when she talks about forgiveness, that mm. it really is about, I mean, I don't mean to make it totally self-centered, but it is about holding yourself back. Like that progress, that vulnerability and that willingness to have joy gets stuck because the forgiveness piece isn't there. Oh, so true. Eden. And thank you for, it's so easy to go into resentment or to grudges, yeah. right? And and feel justified and stay there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And we hurt ourselves in that space. Thank you for sharing that. Do you guys have questions? What questions did you have? Oh, I have I have one. Okay. This is this will be interesting to hear what you guys think. So they're like, I remember two times in the book, her talking about taking back innocence or like mm. kind of wanting to go back to innocence or, you know, something. And for me, that is like so odd for me to hear because I'm like, and I don't know if this is like a personality thing for me, but what I, I really value not being innocent. And let me just say, I view innocence as kind of synonymous. Is that a word? Synonymous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With like being naive. Mm -hmm. And I 
like do not like being looked at as naive. It's like it's an issue, I think, of mine. <laughs> like I really like don't like people being like, oh, you don't know. I'm like, excuse me. I, I, I know. I know. Not I know everything. You know what but I just know? Like, yeah. Like you just like don't like you don't know me type of thing. Mm-hmm. But and like all of her pain and her experiences for her wanting to go back to innocent, like innocence, like I, I get like you don't want to go through the pain, you know, but like kind of what this book is about. It's like yeah, all the things that I have learned, like watching people, like watching my family members decide terrible things with drugs and alcohol and suicide and yeah. rape and blah, 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 everything yeah. you can think of. Mm-hmm. And like my sister passing and all, all the things, you know, I'm very grateful to be on this side of it, especially being a mother and not being like naive or innocent to the fact of like, Bad things happen to good people all the freaking time. Yeah. The, like, and the, the knowledge of like, you, you can't control everything. You know, mm-hmm. that like sense of like, you can't control everything. It's really hard. Like, and I still like struggle with that, but like knowing that because you go through experiences and not having that innocence for me is like so valuable. Like, I wouldn't want to go back and be innocent. Like, but there is this sense of like, I had a, a friend who just lost her mom and I was so sad. It's so sad. And the biggest like saddening piece to me is like, you can never go back <laughs> to like where you were, you know? And that's super sad for me to like want, like she like lost her innocence. And for me, I'm like, oh, that's so painful. But for me, it's been like such a great propelling growth force. But I also think it's a saddening piece to watch it in other people. But I still, my whole question is, let's get to the question, (laughs) is what do you guys feel about like her saying like she wants to go like kind of take that innocence back or go back to innocence? I wish I could remember the exact thing she says. Or what do you guys view innocence as? Because, yeah, for me, I'm like, that's so interesting that she would say that with like the pain she's gone through. So anyway, do you feel like she's saying I want to go back to the beginning? Or no, just like, I don't, I don't know. That's why I'm like confused. I guess I'm like confused of like why that word of innocence would even like come up like, and her wanting to be back to innocence. I don't think it means like I want to erase everything, but it's like being like even being in a state of innocence. Like, I guess I just don't maybe fully understand of like what that means or what that could mean without like being back into a place of being naive which i'm like that's so interesting yeah and it makes sense that you don't like it because when you connect it with the word naive and i can hear your belief about naive naive is bad yeah naive means you don't know you don't know right (laughs) so that makes sense to me that that word would not feel good to you because to you you're hearing you're not smart you don't know you don't understand Uh, to me as you're as you're asking the question i would say a state of innocence would mean I'm going to a place where I've let go of the pain and the wounds in my life, or I'm letting go, and I'm I'm going back to a place where I'm willing. I'm willing to love. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to put myself in uncomfortable spaces. Um, I don't know if that's what she meant, but back to a state of innocence feels like. I'm willing to keep trying because little kids, you watch little kids. I mean, they can learn young how to be afraid of things, but they're also like, Hey, you know, they're just, Mm -hmm. they come loving, they come open. They, and, and then they have life experiences sometimes really quickly that teach them to shut, shut that off. But I don't know. I don't know what um, exactly she was saying, but that would be my thought to a back to a place of, Trusting, loving, not jump, not not hiding yes. under beds when I hear the sirens go off. Um, yes. Years later, she goes to she and Magda go to Sydney to visit Clara, and remember when they catch her playing with dolls? Like she's a middle aged woman at this point, yeah. and she gets really angry with them for catching her. But playing with dolls, playing yeah. with dolls. Mm-hmm. But I thought, and she says this that developmentally, Clara went through. Lots of things that she went through as well, right? The innocence ripped from you. The lack of being able to developmentally go through certain experiences. And so in some ways, her sister Clara is just 
uh, developmentally helping herself grow by playing with dolls, right? She's trying to get through that experience or have an experience that she didn't get to have because of war and the Holocaust, et cetera. So I, I wonder sometimes if that question, that reference to innocence has more to do with that it wasn't her choice to leave the innocent state, that that was taken from her. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. That's good. She said in the book, I love this, it's important to assign blame to perpetrators. Nothing is gained if we close our eyes to wrong, if we give someone a pass. This is also back to another thing that you said, Kenzie, if we dismiss accountability. But as my fellow survivors taught me, you can live to avenge the past or you can live to enrich the present. You can live in the prison of the past or you can let the past be spring be the springboard that helps you reach the life you want now. And I think what she's saying is if I choose to live in the past, then I choose to live in pain. I choose to live in regret. I choose to live in all that, but choosing to move forward, choosing how you want to live is going back to that place. I'm letting go of the pain and I want to live. I, I want to live. I want to build a life. She lived how many lives, like how many decades after so much? And she had a pain all along the way. But anyway, I don't know. It's a really good question. I have a question for you. Yes. So Edith calls her profession a healing art. Mm -hmm. I would say you're in a similar profession. Mm -hmm. So why, how is your profession healing or how is it an art as well? Mm. Oh, you're going to make me cry with that question. <laughs> you can't make me, but I'm going to, I feel emotional when you ask that because, um, you know, I don't think of myself as a cre like a really, I, I took one art class and my, I put my apples and pears on the wall. Like I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud of my, you know, <laughs> I had come with this pretty picture and the instructor's like, um, let's, let's start with an apple. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I wanted to paint anyway. Um, so I don't think of my, I don't think of it as an art, but I do love that she calls it that. But I would say, um, to be able to listen and to love individuals right where they're at and to, Be willing to speak honestly also to individuals who have maybe, you know, shut other people out or where other people are not willing to speak honestly to them. I do think it's an art to help people move through pain because if everyone comes into my office and I'm like, let sit down. I, <laughs> let me tell you where you're thinking wrong, how you're like, and, and I get there. I, I try to get there. I think that is part of helping individuals. But if I'm not willing to sit with them and hear their experience and love them and create a space that is safe, I really love I was taught again. I love that she says, when I have clients come in, I don't cross my legs. I don't cross my arms. I lean into them because I want them to know they're safe here. And I really love, I love the visual of that. So I think that's what she means by a healing art. There's a lot of tools you can give someone to move through pain. Um, and I'm a believer that Christ is the ultimate healer, that he actually can heal all pain and all wounds. But to be in a profession where you help people move into that space, um, and to some people, like we're not, willing even to give it up to be healed. I think I like the word art. When I think of that, when you're talking about art, I'm not an artist, yeah. <laughs> like by any <laughs> means, like my apples would probably get thrown away. No, as you well. could the do drawing, it. You no, there's terrible. I cried I'm in the terrible. second class. <laughs> but when I think about like art, I think there's like, there's like modern contemporary, there's like graffiti, you know, yeah. and they all like look very different, mm -hmm. but which when I think about like something that you do or just like you like mentioned like Christ, mm -hmm. it's it's the same. It's art as an overarching like genre, we'll just say. Yeah. But it looks so different, but it's still trying to convey like a message. Like everyone's trying to convey a message, whether you're graffiti and you're like, what's up? This is my hood. Or yeah. you're like doing a million dollar painting because you're famous and you're whatever. It's, it's still like the same. The point is the same. 
but like kind of the cool art of it, it's still art and it just, and it looks so different. Just like, it, it's not like a one top, like with the, like you said, I don't sit people down and yeah. say, okay, this is, this is how it is. This, this is what we do. It's just, yeah. and she too, like when she talked about all of her in the book, the people that come in to see her, she does like different things. Like every time, sometimes she has somebody punch a pillow a million times and just totally. literally <laughs> just beat a pillow. And sometimes they go for a walk and sometimes, you know, it just all looks different, but it is really cool. Like for you, Chrissy to be, I mean, cause I've like talked to you, you know, been in a space where like you provide that. Yeah. Such a cool, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be on your shoes, but it's a cool thing to like, watch it. Like, Very you know, sweet. really watch the art. I get it. Like, what do you call that when you're like, Looking at something, you art know, like appreciation. It. Yes, appre- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like to just appreciate like what you're doing, and like I guess in a bigger picture, like what Christ yes. does. So anyway, yeah, that's a great question. question. I like that. Good question. Okay, you guys, there's so many more questions, <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to invite people to read the book, and all. Um, my wonderful Annika will put on social media several of her quotes from the book and we'll just really saturate as much as we can the gift of this book. Um, but as we close the podcast, I want to know what's one thing, whether we said it today in our conversation or it's something that caught you as you were reading, what's one thing that you really hope that someone listening today could take and apply to their life? This week, they could say, okay, I'm going to do the work. This is what I'm going to do this week. Oh, before we get there, though, <laughs> I just, I cannot, because this really was the most profound space for me in this book, is she's invited back to Germany, very close to Auschwitz, to give, to be the keynote at a, conf- at, um, a conference. And um, she calls her daughter and says, I just don't think I can do it. And her daughter's like, hey, mom. You don't, I mean, if you want to do it, if you don't want to, of course, you don't have to. Um, and I'll support you either way. And she said, in fact, you know, Mr. and Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, I can't remember their names, but they went back because they thought it would be helpful. They came home, had heart attacks and died. Like it was so traumatic, (laughs) traumatic for them. So she's like, I don't think you have to do it. And she's like, okay, good. I don't think I do either. <laughs> You're right. Yep. <laughs> and and I'm going to read from the book here. She said. Um, she she said. But when I tell Bella that I've decided to decline the invitation, he grabs my shoulder. If you don't go to Germany, he says, then Hitler won the war. It's not what I want to hear. I feel like I've been sucker punched, but I have to concede that he's right about one thing. It's easier to hold someone or something else responsible for your pain than to take responsibility for ending your own victimhood. And then she goes on to say, a good definition of being a victim is when you keep the focus outside of yourself. When you look outside yourself for someone to blame for your present circumstances or to determine your purpose, fate, or worth. And that is why Bella tells me that if I don't go to Birkenstagen, <laughs> Birkenstagen, thank you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Then Hitler has won. He means that I am sitting in a seesaw with my past. As long as I can put Hitler or Mangle or the gaping mouth of my loss on the opposite seat, then I am somehow justified. I always have an excuse. That's why I'm anxious. That's why I'm sad. That's why I can't risk going to Germany. It's not that I'm wrong to feel anxious and sad and afraid. It's not that there isn't real trauma at the core of my life. And it's not that Hitler and Mengel and every other perpetrator of violence or cruelty shouldn't be held accountable for the harm they cause. But if I stay on the seesaw, I am holding the past responsible for what I choose to do now. I could keep reading. (laughs) It's so powerful. But when Bella has the courage to say to her, if you don't go to, if you don't go to Germany, then Hitler won the war. I, my thought is, what is your Germany? What is it in your life that you're unwilling to go to? It may be 
all inside of you. It may be a conversation or an experience. And I don't think you should ever go to Germany alone. <laughs> I think you, you surround yourself with people you love or with a wonderful therapist. Um, and if it, or a coach or, or someone that can help you address and confront that. But that is, as I ask you two what you would share, that's what I would, would say take from this podcast is go to Germany. And then, I mean, if you keep reading, you hear her experience and how she wants to run away and all of it. So, so good. Okay. Your thoughts. What would you hope someone can do to do the work? I love that she keeps talking about doing the inner work to flourish. Mm. I like that word. Um, and that this is a years long process for eager. Mm. Um, that this is not a one and done. She's continually working on changing and recovering and overcoming, facing fears, nourishing herself um, through the fear and the trauma she's experienced and the pain and learning to deal with the past. And because of that, she's willing to open herself up to what's next. She's not stuck. Um, and then I think one of the big keys for me was just that it takes time and you can make mistakes in your healing. You bet. You can make mistakes in your healing journey and get to know yourself more. When I was a senior in high school, you know, one of those moments you remember at our graduation, they played um, the river Garth Brooks song. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason in that moment, it, he talks about standing on the shoreline and not dancing or not getting into the waves, not mm. risking the tide. Mm. And I knew in that moment, I'm like, I'm stuck on the shoreline. Mm. That's my big issue is I'm stuck on the shoreline. And how do I, how do I dare to dance? And how do I, um, am I willing to ride the wave that's mm -hmm. in front of me? Mm. So I think, I think the fact that there's grace in this process, um, is really nourishing to me and helps me want to flourish as well. Beautiful. Thank you, Eden. What I think I learned the mo I mean, there's a lot of different things, but this was kind of a surprising piece for me to recognize this time reading it is that healing doesn't mean you lose the best way I can like say it is the responses to trauma. Like she yes. explains like she still has like, like panic attacks, I believe, or she still gets like anxious when she has to go do things. And this like woman has like is in the profession of being like a therapist and yes. has like done a lot of the work, but she still gets the like responses of the trauma. And I guess in my naive mind, <laughs> in some pieces, I would correspond like the two of like, I'm like healed or I've accepted this trauma. Then I don't have to kind of go through the even like the physical responses of mm -hmm. like a panic attack or something, mm -hmm. but that's like not true. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was so surprising and almost like, like freeing because it's like, the ex okay, I can like get to a place of healing, but if I do still feel like anxious or worried or scared or angry, whatever, it's not that like all is lost. Like, are you kidding me? I just like did all this work to like heal and I thought I was in a good place and now I'm still like feeling this way or having this like response, like I'm anxious, panic, whatever. You, it's not that that's like all for naught. It's you just still have that. You're just like, you're human. Like you just like said, it's just like the mistake. Like we make mistakes. We're just, we're just human. So for me, I mean, I wrote this down. It's like healing is accepting the emotions and feelings at their like fullest. And, mm -hmm. and that, that is the healing is like, is like accepting that. And you can still have like, I'm going to say the word like negative. You connotate it with a negative like emotion, like I'm painful. Gonna, yeah, mm -hmm. painful. I, mm -hmm. I keep on bringing like panic attacks. That's like the one that comes like my head <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> the most. Mm -hmm. But you can still have those. And it's not that you're, you haven't made the progression. It's just like a part of it. And I just accepting that, I feel like is like, like I said, it's just kind of like a breath, like, okay, like it's not that I started, I have to start from ground zero because I had an, a reaction or a response to that. It's, it, I'm not it's just a part of it, I guess. And even if you're, you could say you're at the end of it, like I've really forgiven, I've accepted, 
you can still kind of have that response of those negative, I guess you could say yeah. feelings. And I it's think okay. that's what makes her so authentic because she humanizes it for us. Right. Right. She mm-hmm. says at some point, Healing is not linear. We want it to be. It would be awesome if it was linear. It's not. It's just haphazard. And we've got to be able to accept that ride. Right. Yeah, totally. I love that. That is beautiful. And and I think one of the big evidences of healing is not that you never feel pain again or that you don't feel fear or anxious. It's that you treat yourself in a, in a loving, generous way. Of course I'd feel fear. I've been hit by a train before. I, I can hear the whistle. It makes sense. I'd feel fear. I know how to move out of this. I know how to care for myself. I know how to ask someone to sit with me for a minute. So I think a huge part of, you know, what you just said is so, so helpful. There's so much space. What you both said, there's so much space for healing. And for me, I, I want to always say, is there any peace left in there? If I say I've forgiven, is there any peace left? What's that? I'll, I'll, I'll often say, what's that touching inside of me when I feel some of the emotions that you just described? So thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Christy. Yeah. So much for being willing Love it. Love to come the chance to read it and talk about it. Yeah, me too. It, it, finally, in the end, she's not in the end, but she says, we, we cannot be a person who is never lost. She's talking about Jason with the gun at this point. She said, Jason and I would always be what every person is, someone who will bear suffering. We can't erase the pain, but we are free to accept who we are and what has been done to us and move on. Change is about noticing what's no longer working and stepping out of the familiar imprisoning patterns. So good. Go read the book. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> and tell, Go read it. <laughs> and tell Eden and Kenzie and I when you have, because we want to talk about it oh, again. Yeah. All day. <laughs> yes. You will have many choices in your day and in your week. We hope you'll choose to do the work. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, share a written experience, or ask me a question, go to coachchristy.life and fill out the podcast questionnaire, and we'll be in touch with you soon. There are no dumb questions or experiences, just opportunities to learn and do the work. Have a great week.